What's up, ladies and gentlemen? You're listening to New Hill Talks, a podcast for the members and regular attenders of New Hill Church. My name is Michael Meadows. I'm the lead pastor at New Hill Church. And Gary Fox, Associate Pastor of the Month. And this is Mark Sherry, uh, candidate, candidate pastor as well. It's good to have you here, Gary. You sound better than normal. Yeah, I got COVID last week, and uh, <coughs> it's been a little rough on my voice. Made it more masculine. Well, good to have you here. Good to have you here. Yeah, very good to have you here, Gary. Gary's missing today, obviously. That was a great impersonation, though. I tried. I practiced before I came. It sounded like in a the Gary. mirror. It sounds like a Gary we would hang out with. Yeah, I mean, I, when I when I looked at myself in the mirror, I thought I was Gary, literally. Literally. Felt like you could bench like 220. Two, yeah, 275, right? Gary? What can you bench? So I talked about it Matt, um, at at the, church. The most I've tried to bench is 405, and I don't want to do more than that because I don't want my arms to fall off. Okay. Yeah. So you actually, you got it up. Like you were able to get four or five up. Yes. Yes. I think I could do more, but the problem is, and I've talked to Gary about this, that the higher weights you use, the more your joints degenerate. And so I just do, you know, lower weights. Okay. Yeah. How much can you bench, Mike? I don't know. Probably not. We're going to find out. Probably, probably my body weight. That's That'd be good. about it. They say if you can do your body weight 10 times. I, I can't do it 10 times. All right. Then you're a man. If not, then you're a man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got me. I should have let you finish that first to see what you were actually going to say. Is that what you were going to say that's the whole time? That's what I was going to say. Yes. I was just waiting. <laughs> I know I can't do that 10 times. No. That, that's okay. Um, deadlift, though, um, I used to do when I was a freshman in high school for football. That was like my favorite. Yeah. Um, lifting drill and I was upper 300s lower 400s freshman year so 15 14 15 but you're an ab guy how many ab exercises can you do in one sitting in one sitting yeah uh like what do you like before like I give out yeah I've never done that what's the most you've done I do six minutes straight oh. like that's my workout man that's got to be several hundred at least I don't know Several hundred what? I'm not reps, getting a hundred reps. reps. No, you start to get worn out. Like you feel it. Oh, you're going slow. Yeah. But like I could keep going. So like the the point of it, this guy has um, a few videos on his YouTube channel where he's like beginners, you know, like you, you go 15 seconds, 15 seconds off. And then there's like a 30 second on, 30 second off mm-hmm. kind of thing. But it's always six minutes. It's like that's, that's your workout, which was great for me because like I told you guys, like I don't work out. So like if I look at it like six minutes and I'm done, cool. Um, so then finally, like his like last ad workout. So it's like the master level is what he calls it. It's nothing master about it, but it's six minutes straight. You go from one to the other and each one's uh, 60 seconds. I, I like how, when you say, uh, I don't work out, I don't but work when out. I work out, <laughs> but when I work out, it's for six minutes straight on my abs. Yeah. I remember the first time Rose and I tried to do an at home workout video for the first time. It was awful. And we turned on one of those, you know, just ten minute workouts. Yeah. By three minutes, we were dying. <laughs> like, Dude, there's this one ab ripper guy on YouTube, and it's ridiculous. I did it with uh, Jeremy Dubois one time. He said like that was the the video he followed. That guy's crazy. There's like some like sky reaches where you like oh, keep your legs yes. straight Ugh, and you go up no to thanks. try and reach your toes to the sky. Yeah, it's oh. the wor- the worst. I started a new plan. It's called time under tension. So. You uh, each rep, you go three seconds each way, forward and back, and 
it's very difficult. You literally have to cut the weights in in half, if not less, mm-hmm. and it hurts. It burns. Right. So we we got a question in um, from a dear friend of ours. Uh, the the question is as follows: Was Jesus forsaken on the cross? And I think it's a, a fair question because Jesus on the cross. This is I think a maybe uh, an undiscipled believer. Uh, they sent in this question, and they, they <laughs> just so you all know, we're, we're uh, we've been talking about this, so we're I'm giving Mark a hard time here. But um, when when Jesus says, "My God, My God, why why have you forsaken me?" Um, how do you take that? Like when you when you hear that, like forsaken would would mean abandoned, right? And it's coming out of Psalm 22. The psalmist writes that. Um, what does it mean? Uh, from your understanding from the scriptures of, of Christ being forsaken. Yeah, so after years of studying the Greek, Hebrew, Syrophoenician, and Russian of the original language, I'm pretty sure... Well, that's sure pretty terrible because it, it was in Aramaic. <laughs> I'm pretty... The I'm one pretty, language you didn't study. I'm pretty sure it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I, I mean, I could be wrong. Pretty simple. But I'm pretty sure Jesus meant what he said. So... um and you would say his forsakenness was uh, having taken our sin. Like, that's why he was abandoned. Yes. God the Father. Because the wrath was poured out in that yes. moment. God, God the Father actually, because of our sin, turned his back on his well-beloved son. There was no split or fracture or dissolution of the Trinity. Uh, the Father was well-pleased with the son. He loved the son. At no point did he not love the son because the son was pure. But as our representative, in order to never be forsaken by God, Christ, in our stead, had to have been forsaken, experienced the eternal hell in that three-period hour, uh, three-hour period of time, for us. So yes, forsaken, abandoned. Thank you, Jesus. And I do want to get into that more uh, with Pastor Gary. I, like I said, we're we're giving each other a hard time, but yeah, that's uh, a good look. Like when you, a lot of people have had questions about that before too. Like, it's like one. Why is Jesus asking that? And two, what does it mean? Right? Like, if Jesus knew everything, like, why did right. he know? So, yeah. um, anyways, yeah, I think that'll be a good, a good topic to get into uh, sometime. But today we're continuing in the doctrines of grace, and we are here um, into the eye of yes. tulips. Um, a reminder, if you've not followed along with this, you can go back because they're building blocks each week. And uh, the doctrines of grace deal um, with this acronym, TULIP, Total Depravity of Man, um, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and finally, perseverance of the saint. Um, so, irresistible grace, could you give it a basic definition? Yeah, so actually, my favorite, one of my favorite definitions is from Jacob Mosley, and it goes like this The doctrine of irresistible or efficacious, and I prefer that word, uh, efficacious. Grace, efficacious, so it's effective. Mm-hmm. So the doctrine of irresistible or efficacious grace is concerned with this facet of salvation, that is, the application of grace by the Holy Spirit. It may be defined as the most gracious work of God by which he, according to his eternal purpose and electing grace, does sovereignly and powerfully conquer the sinner's rebellion, thereby enabling him to turn to Christ in genuine repentance and saving faith. So in, in short... Uh, like we said to the people upstairs uh, who asked about this doctrine, <laughs> timely, uh, when God sets his eye on a sinner, he will 
have his prize, and they will not say no in the end. Yeah, so this doctrine particularly is important. Why? Like if someone says, okay, like, what does it matter? You would say, what? Yeah, so if, if, if we don't believe this, then we believe that the ultimate power is within the center, that they have the ability to say no to God, and God is in heaven wringing his hands thinking, oh no, Jimmy won't be saved because I want him to be, and I'm trying as hard as I can, but I just can't overcome his free will of rebellion. And so I think it, it, it points to impotence in God's power, for one. Uh, and, and also, it's, uh, it doesn't seem consistent with God's other characteristics overall. Sure. And, and really, I mean, again, this is, I think, important with the building block aspect in mind because it goes back to the total depravity of man. Yes. Particularly here, because as we laid the foundation for, for that doctrine, it was that uh, man is incapable of saving himself. Um, but also it should be noted, uh, if we didn't already, not only incapable, but unwilling. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so that's the thing is, I think uh, a, a lot of what we've painted here is this is, there's a lot of people drowning, know that they're drowning and like want to find a way. No, like we, we're pretty content just swimming around the ocean on our own, dead at the bottom of the sea, like uh, <laughs> floating. Un, yeah, un, un, unfazed um, by our sin, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, I think it's important to continue to, to hammer that home because in this doctrine, if you've got this, this understanding that, that you're not totally depraved, then you would naturally come to a conclusion that, yeah, I can say no to him. And you can, like you do. So yeah, like the whole point do. is that, that you do say no. And actually without his intervention, you would never say yes. Yes. Yes, right? absolutely. And, and just to, to even back up a bit, that these, these five doctrines, they all fit together. They're called sometimes the golden chain. They're all a logical system that must be entirely accepted or rejected. Now, I know there's a few in church history who've tried to revise them. Uh, I, I appreciate explanations, but full-out revisions don't work for consistency and logic, logic's sake. And, and so uh, the T leads us to the U, to the L, to the I, and then ending up with P. But this, this is a natural response that comes out of God's eternal election, and um, the need for salvation because of total depravity, and, and this is the application of the L, right, for the particular redemption that Christ died for his people, his sheep, his church, his bride. This is God the Spirit pursuing that bride, people, church, sheep, and applying that, the, the benefits of Christ's death upon them. Yeah. Yeah, good points. Uh, Jesus says here in um, John 6, uh, picking up in verses 35 through 40, says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So, particularly, like, when you hear those words, like, what stands out to you in, in light of this doctrine? Yeah, his, his promise, his commitment 
to his people that uh, he will bring them in to the fold. There's no, you know, well, I'll, I'll evaluate them, give them a temperature check, are they, are they ready? It's no, I, I will raise them up. I will bring them. The Father will draw them. Yeah, and like, yeah, it just, it gives you that hope. Like, mm-hmm. again, like, yeah. I think it's so easy to, like, get stuck on, like, the one, like, any one particular point, but it's, like, this unfolding redemptive plan. Like, that's what's so beautiful about, like, each doctrine is that they do build on each other. Yes. Like, sometimes we look at everything, like, it's almost, it's, like, separate, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even even the books of the Bible, right? Like, we read it, and, like, it's its own story, and it's all a part of God's unfolding story, and particularly here is understanding um, your your nature as a, as a sinner, um, our nature, um, both you and I, brother, and then moving along to, okay, so that's my nature. How can I be saved? And you see like, okay, it's God's doing in my life. It's irresistible. I'm going to persevere. I've got the promise that like one day I'll be raised. Um, and, and also in the, the perseverance, right? Like which we're going to get into next uh, episode, like n- no one's going to snatch you away. Like no, no one can take you from me, right? Um, I will raise you up. Um, this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Um, it just gives you full assurance. And I love that song. It's past Sunday, by the way. Blessed assurance. That, that was amazing. Uh, yes. I love it. Great job. Absolutely love that song. And, and, you know, you can actually find the doctrines of grace, I think, most clearly expressed in uh, the Gospel of John. You can find each of them very clearly spelled out. And in chapter 10, it says that, you know, uh, no one will snatch them out of my father's hand. And that's, that goes into next week. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's great news that we did, not, we did not earn our salvation, nor do we keep it. And the fact that, uh, you know, one of the ways we know that's true is that God pursued us. When God said, let there be light, the darkness didn't say no. When God said, live, you know, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus didn't say no. Uh, God is a sovereign God. And now this does not mean, and none of, uh, none of the doctrines of grace or Calvinism teach uh, lethargy or the lack of human responsibility. That's, that's, an, that's often a, a shield that people throw up. They use these doctrines as an excuse to either not come to Christ or they use it as an excuse to be lazy. And that, that is not the teaching of the doctrines of grace or the teachings of Scripture, uh, because there is a free offer of the gospel to anyone who will come, drink and eat, believe, be saved. Anyone who wants to, it, the, the offer is free. And, and um, thankfully, God has the power to follow through on the gospel promise. So I, I have a question for you. So you mentioned God's will can be resisted, right? Can, what, can God's will or God's grace can be resisted? Maybe you can, in what ways do we resist God's grace? Well, I mean, I think anytime like you're denying him or part of his creation or you're going against uh, even created order, right? Like you're resisting yeah. him. Now there's, there's a big difference with with resisting certain aspects of God, right. um, but like this, the saving grace, the, when God has his eyes set, yeah. like there's nothing that's going to stop that. Now, now there's, that's true with a lot of things. Like there's a lot of things that God is accomplishing and there's nothing you can do to stop that. Right. Um, right. now I feel like it would go into, um, 
some things that like you and I have talked about, like even with uh, the other two pastors, but like the wills of God, right. um, like there's, there's just certain things that you, you can't and won't ever be able to stop. Um, yeah. And ultimately, what's interesting is like his will's being done regardless, right. um, because Sovereign there's nothing will. happening that he's not allowing to happen. Right. And that's because we believe that God is um, in complete control. Right. Yeah. He's all powerful, yeah. um, and he knows all. So if he knows all, like there's got to be a sense in like where he's allowing or permitting things. Um, so yeah, I don't know how you would um, kind of s- better articulate maybe uh, that like kind of where the rubber meets the road there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are like, there's certain things that we, we reject every day. Like, I mean, even as a Christian, like you're yeah. called to be holy, uh, for the Lord, your God is holy. And you are rejecting and resisting that. Right. That yeah. In, in a sense, we resist God's grace all the time, yeah. Christian or non-Christian. So there, there's a sense in which the word irresistible grace is not applicable. I do prefer efficacious grace. And we're really talking about salvation. Yeah, we're talking about salvation. So you're dead in sins and God, you know, the gospel's preached to you. And this this cannot be a standalone doctrine, like we've said. So this isn't just, like Michael said, compartmentalized. It has to all be connected. And and I guess where I was going with that is, you know, one of the first arguments I heard against this is Acts 751, where Stephen's preaching at the he's wrapping up his sermon before he's about to be stoned. And he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. So that, that is true. They resisted the Holy Spirit. And how I understand this to be is that there is an outward call and there's an internal call. So the outward call is uh, the proclamation of the gospel that hits physical ears, right? So every, day, every uh, Sunday, the gospel is preached in our church. We hear the word of God, and um, people are hearing words of grace. And those who, in, in the outward call, reject it internally, um, they are resisting the grace of God. But when a converted heart, when God meets a sinner, convicts them of their sin, um, changes their will, actually gives them a new heart, right? Takes out the old stony heart puts in a heart of flesh, that's, that's the inward call. That's the working of God. That is the work that cannot be resisted. And let me ask you another question. So um, do we, does God force us to believe? Does he make us believe? Does he, how do I put this? Are you willing when you believe? That's a better way to put it. Yes, 100%. Okay. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So if I gave you $100, you're going to go spend it. Probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. Because I've given you this gift. Right. And you're not going to let it go to waste. Yeah. Well, God's not just changed your heart forcefully. He's given you a new heart. And yes. that new heart um, has been given to you um, so that you would praise him. And guess what? Because it's a new heart, your new heart's going to praise him. Yes. Bingo. Yeah. So um, that is absolutely, uh, I think, crucial for for our understanding is that we're not robots, um, but because you've been given a, a new life. Like I, I think about, uh, there was a story and I know it was, it was from a commentary. I'm pretty sure um, that this man actually had like uh, heart surgery. You know, he uh, was terrible um, at like exercising. He didn't care about it. He had a very unhealthy diet and um, 
his heart went bad. So he needed a new one. Well, he ended up receiving one um, from this guy who was super healthy. Uh, it's just something happened, car accident or whatever, he died. And then, so this man receives his heart. And what he does with this new heart, he wants to honor the guy whose heart mm. he had received. So he gets into a better uh, rhythm, better lifestyle, and then actually started running in 5K races. And I think eventually got to a marathon uh, being able to run it. So like it was that new heart uh, that gave him new life or second life. Yeah. Um, so we being made a new creation in Christ Jesus, which begins at his coming upon you, right? Mm. So like even faith is a gift according to the scriptures. So you've been granted faith. It's been gifted to you by this yeah. new life. So it, you're just naturally going to do it. So it's like one of those things we're talking about, like this happens behind the scenes, right? But Lazarus is one of those ones. It's a perfect example. He was dead. Yeah. Jesus says, come out. Um, Paul is on his way to Damascus. Um, he's blinded and he's led by hand. Great um, example. And, you know, this wasn't something where Paul wasn't kicking, screaming. He wasn't a robot. Um, but it was this being met where you are by the Lord. Right. Um, probably not doing any good, not seeking any good, not seeking God. And God meets you where you are. Um, we've got to remember what grace is. Mm. Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. Right. Um, so irresistible grace is um, having the veil pulled back and being able to see God's grace, which fallen people cannot, but saved people can. So having been saved, that's what makes this grace irresistible. It's like you see it. Um, it's met you where you are. It's changed your life. And you're not a robot by it, mm. but you see in a way that no one else can see. Because yeah. the Spirit's been given to you, right? That's right. What, one of my like, favorite definitions of grace, it's an, actually an acronym. So take the word grace, put it down in a line, and then it's God's redemption at Christ's expense or God's riches at Christ's expense. Um, and, and, you know, one of the ways that I think about this is, uh, you know, John John one twelve. but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, mm. who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We, we did not say no to our first, first births. No one really had a choice in being born. And, and we do make a choice in the second birth because God regenerates us. He gives that new, us new life. Psalm 110, he makes us willing in the day of his power. So this is what we're talking about, right? Like I said, behind the scenes. <clears throat> and it's this, this old question that a lot of people haven't thought about, but like once you start to think about it, it just made, makes logical sense right. in the order of salvation. What comes first? First, regeneration or faith? Well, let me ask another question. What, what comes first, me flicking the light switch or the light coming on? Logically... I'm answering your question with a question, but logically, you have to flip the light switch for the light to come on. So logically, regeneration, that is new life, being born again, must precede the faith. So you cannot believe unless you have life. There's no, you know, the, the, the belief itself springs out of the new life. Uh, just logically speaking, like Michael said, and when, like Lydia, when God opened Lydia's heart like a flower in front of him, it didn't say that Lydia opened her heart. When you, when you look at conversions in the Bible, it, they are believing. They are repenting. But it is God doing that work. Ephesians 2. For by, grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is the gift of God. So faith is the gift of God. And God grants repentance. We see in other parts of Scripture. Yeah, for sure. And 
So you gonna answer my question though? That was my question. Is or no, that was my what, answer? Is okay. You you asked is regeneration perceived terms. faith? Yeah. What comes first? So does does um does my new heart or my uh my being born again does that come before faith? Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was a a guy's named Sam Jenkins, and he was the custodian uh, at the school that our uh, sending church was meeting in. Uh, they were meeting in a cafeteria of a preschool. And um, Sam joined us for one of the first, maybe the first or second Easter um, that the church had been meeting. And um, he came in, he you know, gave his life to the Lord that day, surrendered his life to Christ. And uh, we, we talked back to that and used Sam as an example. There was something that Sam felt like urging him as he was skipping service in the office to, hey, leave the office today. And you need to be in that service. He said he didn't know what it was. It was just mm-hmm. something that just is this heavy weight that had been placed on him. Um, and we said that like that was the moment that Sam was born again, huh. and it was it was it was that grace had already began to happen. Like this was not a guy who cared to, to be there, but there was just something that day that was like moving him. We'd say Sam was the the switch was turned there, and he acted in faith, yes. even in his going, like literally walking to the other side of the building to be a part of that. Um, but obviously, the, the true act of faith and, and repentance um, was displayed that morning, not by a hand raise, but by a heart change. So. That's, that's right. I, I don't know why this illustration um, always stuck with me, uh, but, but if you go into a dark room where there's, you know, and, you know, there's just dark room, pitch black, and you turn on a flashlight, the light will shine. And um, for some reason, it's it's... When just just my understanding of God from the Scripture, which I think is very clear that He is sovereign, He can harden hearts, He can show mercy to whomever He wants. Jonah tries to run away. He says, "Nope, fish, come get this guy. Bring him to where I want him to." I mean, really, there's no running from what God desires in Scripture. He's in the heaven. He does whatever He pleases. Uh, yeah. What, see, that, that's the Psalm that gets me. There's there's like a few things like we've got to remember like obviously just like turning to, to God's word but like understanding his character which doesn't change like we're constantly changing right right and yeah. and for the better I, I think like even even people who um, generally like they're not following God maybe they're unregenerate like they're never going to believe in their life there's a sense of like we're, we're wanting to improve right it doesn't mean that we're doing spiritually good but like we, we want to improve even with our jobs we want to do better we want to move up the, the corporate ladder um but God doesn't change. So then you start to look at the scriptures, and, and like you said, that, that psalm was one of the ones that um, we preached through uh, maybe sometime last year, I think, or almost two years ago, 2020. Um, but, you know, God is in the heavens. He does as he pleases. Um, we forget that. We forget that about God. Uh, we forget that, that salvation belongs to him. We, we forget um, who God is and what he's been doing since before creation ever existed right and right. like his character his being um his attributes it's not changing he's not evolving he's perfect right yes. like he doesn't need to change like it'd be one thing if we're like eh, you kind of screwed up like we can't say that about god right like he's he's perfect now like maybe not in our eyes because we want him to be who we want him to be because we want him to accept our sin we want him to accept uh the things that we're okay with but he's the one who's who's writing the story and yes. it's his story, and it's for his glory, right? Yep. We forget that, right? And like that's, it, all of that will change your understanding of, of 
of doctrines like this. I don't know. Yeah, and, and you know, it, again, I just think back to most people's, you know, apprehension to this doctrine. Oh, that ruins evangelism, and you know that unmotivated. No, no, this encourages evangelism, just like with the previous, you know, on particular redemption or limited atonement. Go out there and witness, and people will be saved. You know, he he has his eyes set in them, and my my encouragement is don't view people through the worldly lens. Uh, of how bad or good they are and how likely they are or aren't. Because look, if you're a Christian, look at you. God saved you. I mean, look at me. If he saved me, he can save anybody. And Paul felt the same way. He was the chiefest among all sinners, you know, a lot holier than we are and, and more blameless in practice um, concerning the law itself. But, you know, I, I really, really like this quote from Spurgeon. Uh, when preaching uh, on this topic, he said, you yourself say, we won't come to God. God says, you shall come. Yes, there are some here who are laughing at salvation, who can scoff at Christ and mock at the gospel. But I tell you, some of you shall come yet. What, you say? Can God make me become a Christian? I tell you, yes, for herein rests the power of the gospel. It does not ask your consent, but it gets it. It doesn't say, will you have it? But it makes you willing in the day of God's power. And so if you're witnessing to people and you're like, oh, man, they're really resisting God's will, keep at it. Now, don't throw your, your bread dogs or pearl to swine, but there's a persistence, I think, that's well appreciated uh, in, in evangelism that you, you keep on pushing with the person appropriately as long as they're willing to listen. And it doesn't matter where they are. If God has his eyes set on them, he will, sa he will save them. That's the beauty. I, I think it's, it's assurance for me in evangelism that wherever I go, God has a people. And he's gonna, if they're not in the fold, he's going to bring them in at some point. I might not be the, the utensil that God uses to bring them in right there and then, but I might be one who sows or waters to bring about that new life at whatever point God desires. Yeah, it, it totally gives you assurance. Too often we look at this and we're like, okay, so like this takes away responsibility. And it's like, no, no, absolutely not. It, it places a responsibility on you uh, to go and to share because Romans, right? Paul says, how are they going to hear unless someone goes? Right. Right. And how are they going to go unless they're sent? Um, and then he quotes from Isaiah, how beautiful the feet are, carry the gospel. Um, I'm butchering that. I know no, it's something that, along, that was, so along those lines. But, yeah. you know, like you have to go, like you're commanded to go. What this does is absolutely gives you this assurance that as you're going, it rests not in your ability to save, but in your, um, your trust in the Lord who is sovereign. Um, even here to, to Acts 13, verse 48, when the Gentiles are hearing the gospel, and it says in verse 48 of Acts 13, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Uh, so again, like we've been building. So God's got a people um, that he has set aside before uh, the foundation of the world. Um, he set them aside for himself to save them. Um, so as you go and you proclaim this, you know that, that people are going to be saved, right? Yeah. Like you can be like sure of that. You can also be sure that there are people that you're praying for um, that will likely not come to faith. Right. Um, and yep. that's by their own nature um, that they're yes. denying the gospel. But but you know that the sovereign God is saving his people. So you go out and you proclaim, right? And you yeah. proclaim with, with love and with truth and with grace and mercy, um, pleading um, to God the Father uh, that he would use his spirit to draw them to himself. That's right. And 
you know, Ephesians is one of my favorite books. And if you look at the first chapter, uh, there's three sections. It's the Father chooses, the Son redeems, and the Spirit seals and applies that redemption. So going back to the you, God the Father has unconditionally chosen his people before all time. The Son came, accomplished that redemption, and then the Spirit comes and applies that. And so now, now you know, this is where this is the time where the Spirit, just like at all times throughout history, he is wooing people to himself. Christ has been lifted up on the cross. He's drawing all peoples to himself of all, you know, tribes, nations, tongues, and and there's no discrimination based on any socioeconomic or or gender or anything else. And and the other thing I'd say is, you know, if if you if you grew up in a Christian house, you heard the gospel. There there are professing Christians who are in the church. They're in the sheepfold, but they're not really sheep. Uh, they don't truly believe. Right now, some of them get converted. I've I've heard stories of pastors at really good churches getting converted in the middle of a sermon and they just gave up they're like man i've I've just been proud thinking i'm good enough to get to heaven and they gave up in the middle of service broke down got you know they got saved right there and then and so if, if you're one of those people and you cannot use this as an excuse well god's gonna save me well he is no because on judgment day there will be no excuse there will be no opening of the mouth every mouth will be stopped because we're all sinners and we all need God's grace, and it is freely offered in Jesus Christ to anyone who will. So again, back to that responsibility and, and free offer of the gospel, I think both of those things need to be you know, stated to not just make this balanced, but to make the message of the Bible more robust. Yeah, for sure. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, again, too, like we're talking about order, right? Like this, the way things are playing out. And we talked about unconditional election a few episodes ago, but here in Romans um, 8, verses 29 and 30, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So it is, it is playing out, right? So like his people have already been, he's, he's set them aside, yeah. you know, from before. So um, we, we need to remember that in this, this, this chain that these things are, are happening and, and it's going to come to fruition. We're going to see um, his people saved. That's right. You've got full assurance of it. Amen. Final comments? No, I just if, if this is something you have not, you know, thought much about or or embraced, I, I would say, you know, initially, of course, search the scriptures, but look, look at your own salvation. Like when you when you were born, you were born dead into sin in need of new life. And if the scriptures are true and they are that none seek after God, you I mean, let me just put it plainly. We hated God when we came out of the womb. There's a lot of scripture to support that. I think every Christian can agree with that. We are born God-hating rebels. Our guns pointed at God. We'd take them out of the sky if we could. And, you know, clearly we, we made that clear on the cross, that the world put Christ on the cross, all the world powers at that time. And, and so when you, you and I were born, we were born in this condition, and we were helpless, completely helpless, 
incapable of, of gaining any kind of favor with God, but God being gracious, he applied the works of Christ's redemption to you and me. So I think, I think it's a privilege and a, a blessing that God's grace is efficacious. He does what he says. He applies it to his people. And I, I think it's something we, can, we should rejoice in. It's, it's funny because we'll hear things like what you just said, we're rebellious and God-hating uh, coming out of the womb. No, no, we're not like that. But you even look at like Moses, uh, God delivers his people from the Egyptians. Uh, Moses goes up to receive the law, comes back, golden calf. Like, (laughs) like I wasn't gone like, you know, uh, a full day. And here I come back and like golden calf, seriously, like, what are we doing here? And, and that's our nature. It's like, we, we want to replace God um, by our nature and and find other things to worship before him. And we do it. Look at secular culture and like the things that we embrace and put before God. And th- this is the perfect segue. Naturally, like we said, this is, you know, not just building blocks, but a big chain, a cohesive chain that um, if God initiates, you know, one other thing I will say is this, this really comes down to monergism. So, you know, it's a 50 cent word there, maybe a dollar word. Is this your know. second final thought? This is my set. It's right before my third final thought. Okay. Uh, Almost so so mo- monergism, uh, it basically means uh, one work. So... You, you either are a monergist or a synergist. You either believe that it's one work of God or a uh, multiple work of you and God. You are cooperating with God. So most Christians uh, are, are monergists. They believe God alone does the work. We are actually passive in salvation, being dead in sin. Uh, just like in Zechariah 3, uh, he was passive in the court, you know, the high courts of heaven, and he needed an advocate to advocate on his behalf. It's the whole point of the gospel is there's a representative, an advocate, a propitiation on our behalf. Uh, so that's that's my second final thought is is monergism. Uh, and I forgot my third final thought because you you threw me off with that. But this oh I remember it now. This this is this is the segue into the P right. So if God initiates salvation, does he complete it? Does he bring us all the way? Does he just get us in the race and then, you know, bring us on the field? He's like, all right, good luck, buddy. Keep Hope you, you all, could take that ball all the way down the, the... To keep you all chopping at the bit for next week's episode, it says in Philippians, he who began a good work and you will see it through to the day of what? <sighs> you ruined it. You, you spoiled it, man. You're supposed to leave a little cliffhanger through the day of salvation. Uh, the final day? It's the day of salvation. Something like which, that. Yeah. I don't know what translation you're reading, but... We hope that this podcast helped you to put Jesus in the perspective. If you have questions about this episode, a previous episode, or about a relationship with Christ, please go to uh, newhilloh.com slash ask and send in those questions for a biblical response. All right, church, go and honor God and all that you do. Observe the things he's commanded. Provide to the needs of others and extend the offer that's been extended to you. Peace. Boom. Adios.